0: You know, the air in our lungs, every time we take a breath, it's His air. We're only alive because our hearts continue beating. And you and I have no power into making these involuntary things that we say that are happening in a body that keep us alive, totally dependent on God. Colossians tells us that Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together and that he is preeminent and that God has chosen to give everything to his son, everything to his honor and to his glory and all things exist because of him and all things, including your own life is sustained because of him. So when we think about it like this, it's easy and it makes sense And our motivation to praise comes from a place where we realize he is worthy. No one else gets this. No one else deserves this. No other thing deserves this. No other person, though we struggle all the time to put that type of praise on things that are before us. We know in our hearts, the one above us is do everything. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask him to be with us this morning. Ask him to help us to direct our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts to him in these few moments give him our attention and give him the praise and the worship that he's due regardless of what's going on in our life let's pray Father you say because of Jesus dying on the cross shedding his blood giving up his body it's given for us he accomplished something. He cried out on the cross. Did His finish? He finished something. What was that? You were making a way for us to be in your presence, to be with you. And because of Jesus, we can come boldly to you like this, right to your throne, to ask for help, to get the grace that we need, and our time of need. And every single one of us, if we took time... God, you hear it. We know we all have things that we could say. I'm just struggling here. I'm experienced and I feel like I'm having to endure something in life that makes me want to give up. I'm fighting my own flesh, my own temptation, my own thoughts that leave me feeling shameful, filled with guilt and a feeling of condemnation. plagued with so much in the world, so much to bother us, so much to distract us, so much to put us in a place where we could complain God, you know it all. You're above it all. You're with us. I pray that this morning you'd help us to see the wonderful, beautiful truth of how, how much you are with us every step of the way in every moment of life. Never a reason to doubt that you are not there 100% in the fullness of your grace and joy, strengthening us and establishing us in what you've called us to do. Comfort our hearts this morning, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Kids, it's time. That's all I gotta say. I'm gonna run it out. They're excited to go. See you, bud. Hey, Jacob, thanks for the Sprite, man. That dude hooked me up with a, no, it was a Diet Mountain Dew. That's what it was. Came to me last week and he was like, what's your favorite drink? If you could have anything out of that machine, what would it be? I was like, uh, Diet Mountain Dew. And he just, and then came running back and he had one for me. I love it. So sweet. John 14. We're continuing in our series, Real Peace. John chapter 14. And let's get our minds... Let's get our minds wrapped around in in the context of what we've been talking about. We've called it Real Peace because there's this reverberating theme through John 14 all the way into 17 of Jesus trying to comfort his disciples. And in turn, in extension, as we read it, we being his disciples here many years later, being comforted as well by the same truths. He has told them in the upper room when he established the Lord's Supper and he washed their feet, he's told them that he's leaving them and he's going somewhere that they can't follow. He's told them that one of them is going to betray them. He's told them that Peter would deny them and trouble and sorrow has filled their heart. This continues to be uh, the context. This continues to be the conversation through these next few chapters. They're troubled and Jesus is trying to comfort them with great truths and comfort them with real truths about how how he's going to be with them wherever they go and how the Holy Spirit is gonna be given to help remind them of all of these things that he's telling them and teaching them in the moment. And today we're gonna to see the Holy Spirit introduced and you're gonna to start to see the Holy Spirit talked about in the next few chapters, continually talked about. So what do we need to do to get our minds wrapped around where we're gonna be going today? So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of... Get you thinking, and then, and then we're going to just dive into the text and start to read it and understand it. Think about something that you have to do, or think about something that you would be tasked to do that's impossible to do, and what it would feel like to have the pressure to have to accomplish that, but knowing in and of yourself you have no power to do it. It'd be like, hey, Jasper, it is your responsibility to fly on your own, fly. Uh, I can't do that. I need help flying. There are many things in life I need help with. And we could all sit here and talk about things that we need help with, right? But especially the moments in life where it's impossible for us to do what it is we're being tasked with to do, if we had to do it on our own, would fill us with a sense of trouble and anxiety. Keep that in mind as we dive into the text. Now, I'm going to tell you about our journey. You're going to see on the screen here uh, our journey, and I'm going to tell you here's what we're going to do today. We're going through verses 15 through 17, and we're going to read it. We're going to seek to understand it. And then we're going to apply it. You're like, okay, why are you emphasizing this, Jasper? This is what we do every week. Yeah, this, every sermon is seeking to do these things. But today, specifically, we're going to walk through that simple structure today. We're going to read the passage together. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get our minds wrapped around it. And then we're going to bring it home. Sound good? So we do every week. But specifically, I want us thinking, thinking and, and seeing where we're going today. Anytime you open up the scripture, you should be reading it, seeking to understanding it and applying it. But one of the issues is we want to just jump straight to application before we've understood it. That can lead you to some dangerous places. All right? So John 14 verse 15 and 17. The words will be on the screen. You have your Bible. Let's read it together. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, there's a lot going on here. There is a lot of good stuff going on here, but I I want us to, let's work together to understand the passage. Okay, remember where we've been so far. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He said that all the way back in verse one, let not your hearts be troubled because he just told them a bunch of things that trouble filled their heart. And ever since then, everything he's been saying is trying to comfort them, right? That's the context. I'm trying to give you peace. I'm trying to give you comfort. I want you to know that when I tell you that I'm leaving you, I'm not actually leaving you. That's why he tells them like in the first sermon we heard, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he comforts them. I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. What I, I, trust me, trust me in words, I'm coming to get you. He tells them, you know where I'm going. He says, you know the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You'll know how to get to where you're going because you'll know the way it's me. You know it. Philip said, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said, "If I have been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. There's this theme also. Don't be troubled, believe in me. And he keeps reminding them, "Believe in me, believe in me, trust me, trust me, and you can trust me like you do God, because I am God.'m not going to lie to you. you can trust what I 'm saying to you. Last week, interesting sermon from Pastor Todd, everlasting influence Jesus leaving disciples with a, a guarantee that those who do believe in me, though I 'm not going to be here right beside you on planet Earth anymore. If you do believe in me, a guarantee you will do the works that I've done and greater works than I've done, you will do because you believe. And then he goes on, he talks about anything you ask in my name, I I will do this so that my father in heaven may be glorified. The motivation of I want God to be glorified and you have this guarantee that if we ask anything in his name he will do it. And Todd beautifully helped us understand that that doesn't mean that we're going to be raising people from the dead. And the job isn't to go around and be doing things that look like magic tricks to the world. He's talking about an influence that he's going to leave us here on planet earth. And because of what's coming, the Holy Spirit to live in you, which has never been like that before. And because of the the reach on planet earth, we're going to be able to have, which is far greater than the little influence in three years in a localized area that Jesus have. We're going to do greater works than him. And the works that we're going to be doing are going to be saving souls for eternity. It's going to be a message. It's going to be a gospel that's going to be carried in jars of clay. Weak people, weak vessels who are sinners, who need help, carrying a message that's so powerful that when people hear it and believe it, it brings them to new life. It brings them from the dead and it saves them and they are given eternal life better than any temporary physical healing on planet earth. Jesus is comforting them with these words, right? Because they would be tempted to think, you're leaving, how in the world can our influence on planet earth be better than if you're not here with us? He's wanting them to comfort them that, no, 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 trust me, trust me. I'm going to equip you to do this. That's where we're at. So now look at the passage with me. Let's gain great understanding from it. He says this, verse 15 then, still in that same flow, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you may have a version of scripture that says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's not wrong, but it makes the mind immediately go somewhere where I do not believe Jesus is immediately wanting their minds to go. He's, he's already been giving them these indicatives through the whole passage. If you go back up, he, he tells them, hey, uh, he tells them, you know the way to where I'm going. I will come again and receive you to myself. You will do the works that I do. You will do greater works, guaranteed indicative statements of things that he's telling them, you are going to do this. This is the case for you. And he comes to verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Where does the heart of the believer go when we hear this? If you're anything like me, it's an immediate trepidation. It's immediate sense of I've got to do something To please God. This is what Jesus is saying. If you love me, keep my commandments. And all I can focus on are the commandments. And then all I can think about are all of the many thousands of commands and scriptures that I seem to fall at every single day. Anybody with me on that? You read something like this? I'm hearing the uh uh-huhs. Not just me. What is Jesus doing here? Is he giving a works-based salvation? Is he saying, you must keep my commandments? If you want to be with me. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying, if you have a genuine love for me, because you love me, you will do what I say. Other places in Scripture, you go to Luke, and Jesus is talking about the person who out of the bad treasure of their hearts speak bad things, evil things, but the person with the good treasure of their hearts, good things flow. And then he challenges the people he's listening to, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? We went through the book of James, and James was all about real faith. You say you have faith, but if it's real, these things will be evident in your life. If we say we love Jesus, We should see evidence that we actually love Jesus. The commandments are not a means to please him, but the commandments are the gauge and it's the proof that we love. Now, you go to start studying, okay, what are the commandments of Jesus? And you can go anywhere from finding someone saying there are 50 commands of Jesus to someone saying there are a 1,050 commands of Jesus. You look at the New Testament itself, hundreds, hundreds of exhortations, commands, do this, do that. You look in the gospels alone and you see the things that Jesus are saying, what he wants his disciples to do. And it's how, how can any of us carry these on our shoulders and live life perfectly like this? I mean, Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill that. Let me help you understand what that means. Jesus didn't come to say, like the law's bad, all of these 600 laws from the Old Testament, and everything I'm supposed to do away with, and I'm going to get rid of them." No, no, no. Jesus said, the law is perfect and good, and it'll never pass away. God's law will remain forever. Do not come to think, do not think that I've come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill that. What does that mean? I've come to help you understand it even better than how you've been understanding it. To this point, your understanding of the law has been surface level. I'm coming to help you understand the true depth of God's law. So when he helps us and he fulfills it, it helps us understand just how drastic our circumstances are. So when Jesus says things like this, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart what has Jesus just done by saying that he's taken a command that they were familiar with. And he says, you think it goes only this far. I'm telling you in God's laws, it's even deeper. And I'm coming to reveal you real reveal to you. It's even more impossible than you think to keep the law of God, right? Because every single person there, maybe 80% of the people there could be like, I've never committed adultery. I'm good. But all people there listening would be like, oh, but my thoughts are not good. You're telling me I'm condemned for the very thoughts that I have? Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. God dwells in the heart. Sin is committed the moment. It's thought over and it's lusted after and it's dwelled on in the mind and in the heart. The act only reveals what was already inside and God dwells in the secret parts of the heart. So Jesus came to fulfill the law which means show us the true depths, help us understand how it really is. Jesus was that perfect sacrificial lamb. Why? Why was he a substitutionary lamb? Because you and I cannot do what he did. We are not innocent. We are unable to keep the law. Therefore, we're unable to, to appease God with our life or even our death. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. We deserve to be separated. There is nothing we can do. The scripture says, no flesh will be justified by works of the law. But Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You say, why you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? You say later in John chapter 14, that the one who keeps your commandments, he is the one that loves me. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? Help me understand it. Because man, I start feeling those burdens come on me. I start thinking I got to do, I got to do, and all I can experience is I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. God knows this is why he sent Jesus. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who died in your place and his righteousness has been imputed to you. You have taken upon his righteousness and being that God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He took the punishment for you that you deserved, though he was perfect, innocent. Jesus is talking about authentic, real disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, they're to be encouraged by this, not to go down this spiral of how hard it is to keep commandments because the context is Jesus is trying to encourage them. I'm leaving you. You are gonna be tempted to think that because I'm not with you anymore in person, it's going to feel like Living according to my rules and my commandments, my way, my revelation, who I am, the very embodiment of Jesus and what he brings to planet earth in body and person is gonna be even more impossible if I'm not here. So he already off the bat is encouraging them with a guarantee and a promise. Listen, if you love me, a genuine affection and your love for me, I am guarantee you, you're gonna keep my commandments. This is why the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're told that the rest of the law of God hangs upon love. First Corinthians 13 says that love is so important that if if that's the one thing that doesn't exist in your heart, everything else you do is worthless and useless if it's not motivated by love. Giving all that you have away giving up your own body to be sacrificed. If it's not motivated by love, it's useless. It's the great motivator, right? Because you don't steal from someone you genuinely love. You don't kill someone you genuinely love. You don't envy and covet against someone you genuinely love. You don't take the wife or the spouse of another person that you love. Love if you love me. You'll keep my commandments. Jesus says a few verses later, we're gonna get to it next week, but I'm gonna spoil it. I'm gonna read it to you. Verse 20 and chapter 14, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. You see, first and foremost, he's comforting them. He's giving them guarantees of the love of the father and the guarantee that they'll be able to keep his commands. But it must come from a life that genuinely loves Jesus. And they do. And since they do, Jesus is guaranteeing them. He uses that word, keeps, right? Keeps my commandments. Simply obey. Obeys my commandments. If you're sitting here thinking like, what are the commandments of Jesus? You've got to spend time on your own diving into the gospels, reading scripture, and you need to have your own affectionate, intimate time of your, your learning from your master. Someone who genuinely loves is going to be concerned with what the person or the thing they love cares about, all right? We're going to come back to this when we apply it. But I think we understand it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says this in verse 16. Here's where it shifts a little bit. And he's going to give them even more encouragement. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit. Now, now, look at the context. He immediately says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh I can't do that. Yes, I know you can't do that on your own. It was never meant for you to do it on your own. Disciples, I'm promising you, I'm going to ask the father. I'm going to leave and I'm going to a place you can't follow, but I'm going there to the right hand of the father. I'm going to ask him and he's going to give you another helper. Let's talk about that word, another helper. The word another is a word that lets them know and lets us know that it's not a different thing it's the same thing that they've already had. What? what? I'm giving you another helper. Currently, I'm your helper with you, one man, Jesus, the Son, in the flesh. I'm walking with you. I'm teaching you. but I must go away." And later, in one of the in chapter I believe it was 15, 15 or 16, he says, "It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the helper will not come." So there's something very special about this other helper and the other means someone who's just like me who's going to come. Let's talk about the word helper. It's so the word for Periclete, someone who walks alongside. As I looked at it, There's no translation that can use one word that fully encapsulates what this word helper means. Helper does not mean like someone who's here to assist us, not just that. It carries with it this legal term of like an advocate, someone who goes to court with us, who's there, who's like fighting for us, fighting our battles. It has this idea of of counsel, someone who gives counsel and extends wisdom, this idea of someone who's leading us in truth, the idea of someone who's giving power and strength and help for every circumstance. Now, do you see why this would be portent when he just said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? And the mind immediately goes, but I can't. He goes, yes, you can, because I'm giving you a helper. But it gets better than that. Look what he says. He says, I'm giving you a helper to be with you forever, disciples. Not temporarily, forever. This is an eternal promise. I mean, think about this now in the context of them just hearing, I'm leaving you. Do you you see how Jesus is trying to comfort them with, "I am not really leaving you. This is why you shouldn't be troubled. I'm going to be left by all of you and abandoned by my Father on the cross. This is why Jesus was troubled, but you don't need to be troubled because I. You think that me leaving you means me. No, no. Trust me. What I'm doing is going to secure my presence and my communion with you forever. This is exciting. This should be comforting your heart. This should be giving you strength that you're not in the battle alone. That you're not being tasked to do something that's impossible because you have this helper with you and he's gonna be with you forever. You see, Jesus had to go away and pray. Jesus was one man. He couldn't be with everyone at every time. You know, as a pastor, this is really hard because sometimes I wanna be Jesus for people. I wanna be the Holy Spirit for people. I feel like I gotta be I get to be available for everyone at every time and then I get overwhelmed that I'm not the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're not the Holy Spirit, Jasper. I've got to trust that God has a helper with you. That even when you're alone and you don't have someone next to you, you have all the help that you need because the helper is with you and he's with you forever, which means in the middle of the night, in the morning, when no one else is around, God is with you. He says, even the spirit of truth, he starts to define him a little more. Later, as we're gonna see in the next few weeks, we're gonna see where Jesus talks about how the spirit has this responsibility to convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit is the spirit that leads us in truth, all truth, everything about life and godliness, and God, and you, and morality, and purpose, all of that, the world's trying to figure out on their own. But only through the Spirit can you come to the knowledge of truth. And he's the Spirit of truth who's going to be with you forever. And then he says this, comma, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why did he throw this in? Right? Comfort to them, hey, you're, you're, you're being given something that not just anyone has. You're, you're being given the helper, a person, God himself, the Holy spirit, who's going to be with you forever. And guess what? The world cannot receive him. Not anyone can receive the Holy spirit. Why? It says here because it neither sees him nor knows him. Where have we heard this before in John 14 tracking with me? Neither sees him nor knows him. Where else have we seen this? Look in the, some previous verses here. Let's go back up. Hmm, let's see if we can find this. Didn't, uh, uh, who was it? Thomas and Philip or the disciples talk about we want to see the father. We want to know, didn't Jesus guarantee them that if you've seen me, you've seen the father? Didn't Jesus guarantee that you know him? you know me, you know, there's this idea of seeing and knowing. And now the seeing and knowing is being applied to the Holy Spirit indication that he's talking about God. The Holy Spirit is God. There's some beliefs out there that are wrong. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a power. He has personality. It's a he, it is God, but it's not the son and it's not the father. It's the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the Holy Trinity, who we cannot fully grasp or understand, but we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell together in perfect oneness and harmony. And there's only one God, three persons, same in their essence, distinct in their ministry. The Holy Spirit now coming to do what he can do and only he can do, different than what the Son can do. This is why it's advantageous that the Holy Spirit come and it's even better than Jesus walking alongside us. This is hard for them to believe hard for us to believe. Here we are on planet earth and we're dwelling with God whom we cannot see right now but the world neither sees him nor knows him ergo they cannot receive him. And then he gives them this guarantee. He says this, you, however, know him for he dwells with you, currently dwells with you. But then he says this, this is where everything changes. And he will be in you. This is where everything begins to change. This had never been the case. God being in you or dwelling, making home. And at the end there of chapter 14, it talks about how God will make his home with a person who loves him We're talking, Jesus is revealing God himself no longer in the temple, dwelling in a place where you better not approach unworthily is going to live forever inside of every person, every person that believes him. There's a lot of misunderstanding and bad theology and bad teaching about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every single person that believes in Jesus Christ and loves him. And the scripture gives us the guarantee that the Holy Spirit is like the down payment. It's the guarantee that the inheritance that God has promised you is waiting on you. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. It's a guarantee that you are sealed with the spirit and the moment you believe God indwells you and lives in you and begins to already start to supply you and equip you with the power that you need and do not have in yourself to love him. And keep his commandments. This is where the encouragement's coming in. You are not on your own. God knows it, and he hasn't left you alone. He's given you a helper who will be with you forever. Now, let me sum it up as this: here's a summary. Jesus is comforting troubled disciples with a guaranteed life of obedience through love and divine help. Jesus is comforting troubled disciples, comforting them with a guaranteed life of obedience through love and divine help. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like the Christian life is that task that you've been given and you're you're doing your Christian life, but it feels like a sense of duty and it's something that you must do and it's on your shoulders and you gotta figure it out and you gotta do it all on yourself. And then there's this great sense of like, I can't do this. Am I the only one who gets trapped in those moments? I start following God and and, and trying to serve him in that type of way? Let's, Let's make it personal now. Let's bring it home. We're gonna see up on the screen here. I want to bring this home and I wanna see how this passage helps us go from one state of mind to the other. So let's look at it. Here's the first. How do I go from this? Living for Jesus feels impossible. I feel like I might give up. Ever been there? Ever been fighting and struggling against sin? Ever been experiencing the hard circumstances of life to the point where you feel this way? I I wonder, brothers and sisters, would anybody be willing to admit they understand what that feels like by raising their hand? I feel like living for Jesus. Let me tell you this. This passage is going to help us. And if we allow it to minister us and allow Jesus to comfort us personally like he has disciples to go from here to here, look at this. I'm confident my life will be lived for Jesus no matter the circumstances. Confident. That where he puts me and what he's tasked me to do, I will be able to do. Not in arrogance, not in pride, but through the promises and the equipping power that Jesus is talking about You can go from there to here. But listen, these moments of life, this is why Jesus leaves us with his word. This is why we have to spend time with him because these moments of life that bring these type of trepidations to us have to be combated with the word of God. So three things we're gonna pull from this passage. Real quick, we're getting close to finishing. I just wanna leave you with this application. I said we'd read it, we'd understand it, and we're gonna apply it. Now we're gonna apply it. So how do we go from there to there? Let's look at this first thing. First thing is this, strive and love, not law. Strive and love, not law. First and greatest commandment, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The book of 1 John even talks about and reiterates this where the same John who wrote this gospel writes 1 John and he reiterates this over and over and over. You cannot fake it. You absolutely cannot fake it fake it. You must love God. And genuine love will manifest itself in an obedient life to God's commands. Well, how, do I, how do I know that I love God? We complicate this too. We know what it's like to love things. You see, the issue is the things that we love. Love is the issue where our affections are on. We have things and peoples and philosophies and ideals and ways of the world that if we're willing to be honest and search our heart, we love we respect. They're our God. They're our idols. And we tend to place those over the law and the commandments of Jesus because we love something more than him. That's where it all begins and all originates. So if you're trying to figure the Christian life out without dealing with the passionate lust of the heart, and crucifying them and then relying on the strength of Jesus to help you love him more than all those things, you'll continue to try to serve two masters. And guess what Jesus said? You wind up loving the one and hating the other. We try to have our cake and eat it, right? You know what? My, I just want to feel like a Christian who's saved. And so I'll do ritualistic things and I will meet the, the quota So I feel good because really what I want more than actually being right with God is feeling right with God. How about you start striving and putting your energy, oh man, I want this relationship with Jesus and I just want to love him. I know I want to, I desire to love him. I've got things that are in the way of it and I know I need to love him more than anything else. And so I'm just going to spend time reading his word, eating it, sleeping it, breathing it, and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask him to supply the love that's lacking And he does, but that's, that's a different heart. That's a heart that God will honor. That's a prayer that you're asking in his name that he says, I'll do it, right? Because that's with my will, because I want you to love me. I don't want you to have the Lamborghini. Maybe I don't want you to be healed. Stop praying for superficial, temporary things and start praying for the deep, eternal things of your heart that need to change. And I'll do that because that's what I want to do. That's what it means to pray in my name, to pray for the things that I want. What I want for your heart is to love me more than anything else. And if you're praying for that in my name, I, I will give you that love you're asking for. You can guarantee and believe that that's not one that I might or might not give to you. Because you already know I want that for you. Strive and love, not law. Because when you start to strive and law, something you have to do, I've got to make this righteousness work on my own. That's when you start to feel, this is impossible. I'm going to give up because it is impossible. You can't. This is why you had to have a sacrificial lamb that would come and live in the place and do what you couldn't and die for you in the place that you deserve to be so that the Holy Spirit could come and start equipping you to love God and then keep his commands because you can't do it on your own. This is comforting, right? It's comforting because when Jesus says, and I will ask and give you another helper, It's because God himself knows you need help, which brings us to our second thing. Accept this, accept that you'll always need help. There'll never be a time when you don't need help. There's never a time where God's saying you gotta do it on your own. There's never a moment when you're alone at night and it's like on your shoulders and you gotta figure it out and you're under the weight and the condemnation of the guilt of where you're falling short that now it's on you to to figure it out and you've gotta muster up enough strength and you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's like, no, I know, I know. When are you gonna stop trying to do it yourself and you're gonna reach out and depend on my strength that I'm giving you because you can't in the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. Anytime you try to do in your own strength, you try to serve me in your own strength, you're going to fall short and you're gonna feel condemnation and guilt. Always take that humble position where you know, I, God, if you're not intervening and you leave it up to me, it's not gonna be pretty. God knows that. You're not being condemned when you pray like that and you feel like that. God knows that. That's why Jesus says, I will ask and he'll bring you another helper. I know you need the Holy Spirit. I know you need help. You need to know you need help. You need to accept that always. And you need to rely and yield to the help that I'm giving you. I'll send you another helper, spirit of truth, world can't receive, He'll be with you forever. He dwells with you and will be in you. And then the final thing is this remember who it is that dwells in you forever. Right? You have this help, you have another helper that's with you, but it's not like it's not like Google, right? Where it's up to you to figure out how to use it. God comes along and he's like, I'll take care of everything. You know what I want you to do? I want you to believe which goes back to what Jesus said at the very beginning of John 14. Let your hearts be troubled, believe in me. Genuinely start to trust me. You know what else I want you to do? I want you to, I want you to focus on loving me. I want you to focus on the, the passions of your heart. Am I there? Am I in the center? Everything flows from that. If I'm not in the center, you can't fake it. You don't seek to start loving me. That's where all the pain's coming from. Remember who dwells in you forever. The Holy Spirit, the great counselor, and and guess what? We're gonna get to unpack and see truly the power and the wonder of the spirit as Jesus will continue to refer to him as this great counselor and helper who's not just gonna come alongside you, but dwell in you. You are equipped for every moment of life every temptation that comes your way and everything God wants you to do or wants you to avoid, you have the Holy Spirit and the power there. And guess what? You also have the grace of God there that says, where John says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the man, Jesus Christ. By the way, advocate, the same word for helper. Jesus is advocating for us. How do I go from feeling like life's impossible, I'm going to give up, to I'm confident that I can and will live a life for Jesus no matter the circumstances. It comes from a love for Christ and it comes from divine help, divine intervention. Where are you at? What are you struggling with? What's causing you to maybe feel like, man, I can't do this anymore. That's such a lie. God doesn't want you there. Jesus wants to comfort your troubled heart and tell you, no, I'm with you. Yield to me, trust me. See where I have great mercy and patience for what you're going through and I will help you through every sin struggle and through, through every work, good work that I've given you to do and you're gonna experience the weakness and the struggle of your flesh till the day you die. I'll give you a new body, but it's not yet. I'll be with you. We can go through this together. I'm not asking you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm asking you to run into my arms every single day, every moment of life, and rely on my strength. And if you don't know Jesus, you have not known or seen the Holy Spirit because you're sitting here convicted now that your life has been nothing but a ritualistic, religious show. You're just going through the motions. You know, you go going to church because that's what your parents did. You, you just, you're associated with Christian things and you have the right answer to the test about Jesus, but you don't know him. That's because there's not a relationship with him and a dependence on him. Maybe now and today is the day that you spend time personally, not anybody else doing it for, but you personally making things right with Jesus, asking him to save you and asking him to do what you can't in your heart and that's give you a heart that loves him and will seek to honor him and glorify him the rest of your days. It starts with that type of disposition. And that is a prayer that God wants for you. So if you ask that prayer, he will deliver it for you. Let's pray. Father, you know my struggle with this passage, so much to say, so little time. God, I pray that you would be with some at church, that as the world gets darker, and there's so many things pulling the affections of our heart away from you, would you give us what it is we need through the Holy Spirit to be able to love you, and through that love, being motivated by that love, serve you and live for you every day of our life, knowing that we won't be perfect, but being conformed to the image of your son not fighting for our own ways or trying to use your word to justify our own ways, but following Jesus, desiring to be like him in every circumstance. God, we need you to do that in our life because we can't. So God, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would work in this way. Amen.